University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. Now, last Wednesday, a couple of our families from UBC went to uh, the Baton Rouge Zoo. They had what's called zoo lights, and there in the dark you can see all the wonderful Christmas lights, but it is uh, a, a bit of uh, out of sorts, if you will, because while you're wandering in the dark to see the Christmas lights, you do have to wonder in the back of your head, did the alligator get out of its habitat? <laughs> is the jaguar roaming around here? Now, the Baton Rouge Zoo lights are fantastic. Um, However, I found this week there is another zoo that kind of puts our zoo to shame when it comes to zoo lights. This is the Living Desert Zoo and Gardens in California. They have a whopping over one million lights they put up, uh, transforming the zoo that's in the desert into a winter wonderland. And they have life-size light animals and food and carousels and entertainment and a Christmas train. Tis the season to have your retina blaring with LED lights flashing all around you. But that's Christmas when you think about it. Christmas seems to be this big lights, big colors, big gifts. But what I want us to see from our scripture this morning is that Advent actually begins with insignificant and hidden figures. And for this, we look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to Mary, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, the six months refers to Elizabeth, who is uh, related to Mary. This is another miracle child we learn about in the scriptures. You see, Elizabeth and uh, uh, Zechariah were very old, yet they desired a child, and God heard their prayers. And not only did God hear their prayers, but God promises to give them a child who would help prepare the people for God's Messiah to come. This is prophesied in the book of Isaiah. So Elizabeth is about six months into her pregnancy. Again, Luke tells us that Gabriel, the angel, comes to bring a message. Now, he's sent to this town called Nazareth. If you were a first century Israelite reading or listening to this passage, you probably would have snickered or laughed out loud because Nazareth was a no-name hick town in the back country of Galilee. Nazareth was nothing. It was not mentioned in the entire Old Testament. It's it's not mentioned among the many places and people that are listed throughout the Hebrew Bible. Not to mention that it's not even mentioned uh, from the words of the Jewish historian Josephus. It's it's a no-name place. In fact, when Jesus comes onto the scene in the Gospels, somebody actually remarks, can anything good come from Nazareth? So Nazareth was nothing. Luke is beginning in this hick village in the middle of nowhere. And of all the people and all the no-name villages, Mary was the one to be a hidden figure of this day. You see, the images we have of Mary throughout history are 
as if she was this 30-year-old woman with perfectly cut hair, no dirt under her nails, a golden crown above her head. But the truth be told is that Mary was a teenager from an unremarkable town. She was a virgin pledged to a poor carpenter named Joseph. Don't think glitz and glamour, think peasant girl, peasant dress, pulling water from a well, out collecting firewood for her parents. Think of a girl who is illiterate, who had had dirty feet because of sandals, walking around in the dirt of the day. Mary is not this polished figure that we see, but a poor girl working hard. And she's pledged to a man named Joseph. But what we need to recognize is that Mary is not some 20-some-odd-year-old girl. She is 14 years old in this moment. Joseph is most likely around the age of 16. Think of Joseph as a early high school boy. He's trying to grow a mustache, but he's got that awkward peach fuzz that's growing on his lip that you just want to shave off. Think of a boy who has a squeaky voice because it's changing. He's trying to learn from his father. Joseph is a poor carpenter, again in this no-name town. This marriage was drawn up as a contract. It was an exchange of money for Mary's father to receive a reward for having a, a girl into this world. Very simple and bewildering question. How did Mary, of all people, draw the attention of God? How did this poor teenage girl from an insignificant town in the back country of Galilee, pledged to be married to a poor carpenter, find favor in the eyes of God? Mary is a hidden figure. And it seems so strange when you really think about it. She's not educated. She doesn't come from money. She doesn't have any world experience. Yet God chose her. And Mary stands before this angel and is being told that she has found favor in the eyes of God, I imagine her jaw just sitting wide open in wonder. I bet for many of us in this space, we can connect with Mary. We might not be from a foreign off land. We might not be from a no-name town from ancient history. But for many of us, we battle feelings of insignificance. Insignificance because of our experience, maybe our education, our perspective, our resources, our influence, our skills. The questions of who am I? What do I have to offer? What can I do? What can I be used for? These feelings of insignificance and inadequacy oftentimes are real difficult to overcome in our life whether it's a sense of worthlessness because of our work or our relationships or our friendships or our health or our community or our fitness or our spirituality or just our general sense of worth. We've been told that we're not from the right family, have the right experiences, got the right degree, know the right people, have the right amount of money, have the right amount of stuff. The world might not be saying it to us directly, but the message is clear. You feel like a person of insignificance. And that's a horrible feeling to battle with. Where do I fit in to this grand scheme of things? That's a fascinating and that is a scary question to consider. And since we can often struggle with the answer, we end up finding ourselves in a quasi-existential crisis in which it, it grinds our life to a halt. Not knowing what we should do, what motivates us in life, 
where we should go and how we can make an impact. So yes, many of us can relate to Mary. And it says this in verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. I find it hilarious that Gabriel actually has to tell her, do not be afraid. Well, you want to say to Gabriel, well, don't sneak up on somebody and scare somebody out of nowhere. He has to say the same thing to Elizabeth. He needs to work on his entry music a little bit. The angel proceeds to tell Mary not the typical news or the headlines of the day, what's the latest fashion in Jerusalem. No, the dude drops the bee bomb, the baby bomb, on her. My papa used to say this uh, common phrase, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to say that in my good ear. If I was Mary hearing this news from the angel, I probably would have said to me, excuse me, come again? You're going to have to say that again, but say it real slow this time. You see, he tells her not only this news that she's going to bear a son, that he's going to have the name Jesus, which is the Greek an Aramaic term uh, for, for the Hebrew name Joshua, meaning God saves. His name is literally going to mean what he is going to do, but the angel tells her that he's going to be the son of the Most High. And by this point, if Mary wasn't already frazzled, I imagine this was met with deep breaths of anxiety. No pressure. But what I see happening with Mary in this moment is that God is taking this hidden figure and saying that God sees something significant in you. You, Mary, you of all people God has chosen. God sees something in you. God doesn't see your age, your societal status as a woman in first century Palestine where men ruled everything, your lack of experience, this town that you live in. God sees you. And what Mary's story teaches us, what reverberates throughout the gospel, is a clear and resolute message that God sees something significant in you. Society might strap us down with stipulations based on our age or gender or sexuality or experience level or origins of birth or nationality or ethnicity or financial status, but that's not how God works. God sees something significant in you. God sees you, and what God created is a unique person with a unique story and perspectives and giftedness and strengths and assets. God sees you as an extraordinary, beautiful, and bountiful value of a person. This is echoed in the words from the psalmist who wrote, You search me and you know me, Lord. You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For you created me in my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together from the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. God sees something significant in you. Do you see it? Do you believe it? 
The story continues in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I am a virgin, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old stage has also conceived a son and in the sixth month of her who has, was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. How many of us as, are truly surprised by Mary's response here? Because my response would have been, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? How do you think I'm going to explain, A, that I'm pregnant, and B, it's the Son of God? Do you think the people in my town are going to say, oh, congratulations, Mary, you go, girl. The Son of God, you did it. You see, Mary asked, how will this be? I'm a virgin, I ain't been with a man, I feel like she's giving the angel the birds and the bees talk. You see, when a man loves a woman, and you've got to love this one-liner the angel said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you want to believe that you can become pregnant with the Son of God? Do you want to believe that a woman in her old age who is barren can conceive, a virgin can conceive Mary? God can enter into human history in this way. Impossible things are made possible with God. And our text wraps up verse 38 with this. Then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. You see, it's easy to gloss over what Mary said because if we really think about it, this seems like the last thing we'd expect anyone to say in this situation. But consider for just a moment what Mary really did say in this moment. I understand my future husband could divorce me for being unfaithful even though I wasn't. I understand people in my town will think I'm a woman who sleeps around even though I'm not. I understand that nobody is going to believe me when I tell them this pregnancy is a miracle, would you? She's saying, I understand that my child will be looked at as a bastard his entire life in this town of 100 people. I understand that I won't get the joys of early marriage before bearing a child into this world. I understand all of these things, and yet, let it be, God. This could have been the response that Mary should have given. It's not the response I would have given. And I'm sure Mary didn't think about this whole pregnancy thing at the age of 14, her whole life before her, and yet she hears what God is calling her to do, and her response is a declaration of faith. Whatever God wishes in my life to do, whatever God wants me to exist, I will do that very thing. Our family was recently eating dinner in a small restaurant here in town, and a 60-minute story came on of uh, Nadia Murad, who's on the screen right now. She was born in Iraq, and Nadia was 19 years old when ISIS uh, attacked her village. They murdered 600 men, including her family members. And uh, Myriad and other young women were taken prisoner and subject to beating and sexual assault. And for three months, she was brutally assaulted. And she managed to escape, and and when she escaped, she found her way to a refugee camp and then was relocated to Germany, where she now lives. And most most of us would be content with finding freedom and, and trying to step forward in some way through a horrible situation and trying to recover from this unimaginable horror. But Nadia chose to fight back. And on 
the 16th of December in 2015, she spoke to the United Nations Security Council about human trafficking and conflict. This is the first time that the council had ever been briefed on human trafficking in its history. And she founded an organization dedicated to, to helping women and children uh, victimized by genocide and mass atrocities and human trafficking by rebuilding lives and communities. And she was met with global diplomats and advocates and written passionately to fight against uh, human and sex trafficking. In 2018, uh, four years after she was kidnapped and assaulted, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. All of this from a no-name girl in a no-name town with no rights and no authority. You see, God uses hidden figures to do good work in this world. But this isn't where the story ends. As our family sat back and watched her story, a fellow customer began to bemoan what was on TV. He started asking each table in the restaurant, are you watching this? Are you bothered by this? I was so caught off guard by what he was doing that I didn't know how to respond. He then got up to the restaurant employee and demanded that the TV be turned off because he didn't want to listen to this quote-unquote crap while he was enjoying his meal. You see, while God sees and uses hidden figures for God's redemptive purpose in transforming the world, often hidden figures are squelched by others. Turning our eyes and ears off of the story of another individual is often the way that we squelch the insignificance of others. You see, um, oftentimes we lack the courage and lack the belief that God can use insignificant people to do significant work in the world. You see, Mary faced this as she had to go out into her village and begin to fight against the rumors that would amass against her. Here's this hidden figure being used for significant things in God's world. There are people in your life that will intentionally and sometimes without meaning to, meaning to try to hide within you what God has uncovered. There will be people who will tell you directly and in not so certain terms that you are not old enough, experienced enough, strong enough to do something. That because you're not the right gender or sexuality or ethnicity or nationality, that you cannot make a difference in this world. And just like Mary had to face these people in her village, so too other people lack the courage and faith to see what God is doing within you. And sometimes it comes from ourselves. Sometimes we lack the courage and belief to know that God can do something through us. Sometimes we lack the courage and strength. Sometimes it comes from others. And yet what we see through Mary is the ability to rise above the noise of her hometown to do what God is calling her to do. Through the story of Mary, we see that God is inviting us to see that, that God wants to empower hidden figures for God's redemptive work through Jesus. Like most girls living in this day and age, Mary was expecting to go into marriage, to produce some ch children, to run a household, to faithfully practice her religious customs. But the reality of what God had in store for her life went beyond her expectations and comprehension. And our story began in a no-name place that would not hit a, a search on ancient Google Maps. No one important had ever come from Nazareth. And within the confines of this insignificant place, 
there was a, a poor and uneducated teenage girl. And the greatest accomplishment of her life to this point was being born female so that her father could make money off her marriage. But in this insignificant Nazareth and Mary, God had big dreams. I wonder if you might begin to see that that God desires to do something through you. Mary joins the long legacy of biblical figures that were plucked out of obscurity for significant things. Remember the stories of Ruth and Joshua and Deborah and David and Mary Magdalene and Lydia and Esther and Jonah and Gideon. Maybe life has not always dealt you the best cards. You struggled in school, you lacked physical desirability, other people have pushed you to the side and neglected your needs. You've never got that job you thought you should have had. You're holding your marriage together with thin threads. College was an option. Children were out of the question. There are so many things that cause feelings of inadequacy and irrelevance in our life. What I, I think God wants you to hear this morning is that you are significant. And you matter to God and you matter to this faith community. And God wants to do something significant through your life but it requires that we trust that God knows what God is doing. God is inviting us to see that through hidden figures, God's redemptive work in this world can be accomplished. This last Sunday was an anniversary of a significant day in history. You see, at an insignificant bus stop on a random day in the white-hot heat of America's most racist state, a hidden figure stepped onto a bus. She had been told for the last 42 years of her life that she really had no place in this kind of bus, and she certainly had no place here at the front. And yet on this day, she sat down where she wanted to and where what made the most sense. Except the bus driver sternly directed her to move to the back, and she didn't budge. He repeated this command, and yet the circumstances didn't change. When he pulled over and, and turned around, he began to shout at Rosa Parks, and she refused to move to the back of the bus. On December the 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks chose to let her insignificant circumstances transform the world into great significance. You see, as I look around the space of those gathered here this morning, I see people who are hidden figures that are already doing God's redemptive work in this world. I see people like Nancy Merle that leads our benevolence ministry, giving gifts of charity to help people in crisis. I see people like Lori Ray who volunteers at the YMCA to provide children space to improve their health and find healthy community among people who love them. I see people like Dawn Ryan who leads our monthly senior adult luncheon, a wonderful space of community and joy and love. She decorates, she sets up, and welcomes all with a wonderful smile. For the last six years, Ann Kramer has showed up to pretty much all of our important meetings to take notes, and don't, we don't really award her for this, but she makes sure we stay to the bylaws and constitution and knows what exactly we agree to in these meetings. I see people like Aaron Biggers, where to get started. Aaron takes the hidden task of taking care of our building and our campus, a role that's rarely recognized and applauded. He makes our campus work so that we can do the work of the gospel without having to worry about dysfunctional lights and clingy pipes. We have hidden figures in this church 
that give of themselves to transform the world, and so many others. In 1970, the Beatles released their 12th and final album. It was the Let It Be album. Now, this album has four of my favorite Beatles songs, Get Back, The Long and Winding Road, Across the Universe, and Let It Be. And in the midst of the infighting and their eventual breakup, the band recorded these powerful words. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And when the brokenhearted people living in a world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they can see, there will be an answer, let it be. And when the night is cloudy, there is still a light that shines on me, shine until tomorrow, let it be. I wake up to the sound of music, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Christmas is an invitation to allow God to use what is hidden to transform the world. But are we willing to say to God, as Mary said, let it be? Will you allow God to stir the significance within you? Will you allow God to unveil what is hidden? Will you have the courage and the faith to allow God to take what is hidden within you to transform your life and this faith community, Baton Rouge, and the world? Will you say to God, let it be?